to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But the catch was I had to wear every piece of trash that I created, which is four and a half pounds or two kilos of trash per day. So oh after just a few weeks, I was a walking trash monster, a trash ball around New York City and Everywhere I went, people knew me as the trash man. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Rob is one of the most extreme people I've come across putting his body and life on the line to make huge waves fighting for both humanitarian and environmental issues. He eats roadkill, owns 44 possessions, and has given up the idea of having children all for his work. He is committed, and he has suffered immensely for it. I needed to know, is it worth it? Can you rattle off some of the things people might or might not know you for when we're talking extreme activism? Sure. The most visual one is trash me. For one month, I lived like the average American. I ate, I shopped, I consumed like the average American. But the catch was I had to wear every piece of trash that I created, which is four and a half pounds or two kilos of trash per day. So Mm -hmm. after just a few weeks, I was a walking trash monster, a trash ball around New York City. And everywhere I went, people knew me as the trash man. And the idea of that was people looked at me and they saw, oh, wow, that's me. That's, that's a representation or reflection of my life. He's just wearing his trash while I put it in the garbage can. And that would have been painful and uncomfortable, I'm assuming. It was painful and it was uncomfortable, but it was also one of the most joyous months of my life because (laughs) I just saw the light bulbs going off in people's heads everywhere. And people walked up to me in the streets of New York City every day saying, hey, I was just watching a video online or I just was reading about you in the newspaper and there you are. (laughs) And I haven't been able to look at my plastic wrap sandwich the same since that. Yes. and, and people coming up to me and saying, hey, uh, I just bought a reusable coffee cup for the first time in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old. And it was because of seeing you, uh, an article about you. And, and, and here you are walking by. So it was just a, it was a beautiful time of seeing change. Yeah, literally in front of your eyes. And run us through, and I know it's a long story, but give us the really tight version of the bamboo bike ride. 
Sure. So, yeah, in 2013, that was my first activism campaign. And the idea was to do something extreme that would catch people's attention, catch mainstream media's attention, and get them to think about the basics of life. Our food, where does it come from? Our water, how does it get to us? Uh, where does it go after it goes down our drains? Our, our electricity, our waste, our trans, you know, how we get ourselves around. And so what I did is I hopped on a bamboo bicycle in San Francisco, California, and I had to bike to Vermont on the East Coast, 4,700 miles, uh, 7,000 kilometers off the grid, basically using no, trying to have no negative environmental impact. And so I had a trailer full of solar panels to make my own energy. And um, I learned deeply about sustainability. One of the rules was I could only eat local organic unpackaged food. And I found that that doesn't exist. So I started to dumpster dive that was where I learned about the food waste fiasco and uh, started to raise awareness about food waste. And yeah, so that was, that was my first activism campaign. And that, that really launched me into doing, you know, a couple dozen more. It was almost like the Pandora's box, you know, this trip kind of unraveled so many elements that you then, I guess, took tangents into and you bring up the dumpster diving. I mean, I can't even fathom that. But what is the first time like, like getting in there and pulling out something and then deciding to consume it? Yeah, so we're going back seven years ago and I had a much larger ego then and I was much more you know, worried about what people would think and societal norms. So the first time that I ever went, I, I sort of snuck around back of the grocery store and I... I just, you know, peered inside the dumpster pretty timidly and I look in there and sure enough, the whole bottom of it is filled with perfectly good food. There was, uh, you know, vegan yogurt. There was ice cream that was not even hardly melted yet. It was still frozen. There was vegetables and cantaloupes. And the first thing that I ever ate was that box of ice cream. And I didn't have uh, a spoon with me. I had my sunglasses, so I used those. I sat right in the parking lot, d- <laughs> dug in, and ate half the box just sitting right there. From that point on, I was hooked. I mean, I can tell when food is still good or not. And uh, basically, you know, from that point on, all across the nation, I found that dumpster after dumpster after dumpster was filled with perfect, perfectly good food. Like, I could come to your house and I could fill your pantry. And I could make you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you would have no idea that I got any of this from the dumpster, and you could eat like a king or a queen. Wow. Okay. Um, I've got a lot to unpack. Firstly, you know, the I guess there's like an OHS thing here, like health and safety with use by dates and um food that could make you potentially sick. Is there kind of, you know, like you are um, bringing awareness to people. So people are going to start to do these things. What is it that makes it safe? Is it just having common sense or do you say, stay away from raw meat products? Don't try dairy. Like what are the rules? Sure. Well, first I'll say that my message really isn't to go dumpster diving. My message is let's not put any food in the dumpsters in the first place. We have a billion people who deal with, uh, food insecurity, people starving Mm -hmm. around the world. In the United States, one in seven Americans are food insecure while we waste half our food. So first and Mm. foremost, the message is let's make sure everybody's fed and let's not throw away perfectly good food and throw away our earth in the process. 
the one of the rules when you were riding the bike about only having unpackaged organic food or having the option of dumpster diving they're quite um they're two parallels right because a lot of the things that you wouldn't you're going to find in the dumpster are going to be full of chemicals full of um preservatives and all the things that organic natural foods don't have so was that also difficult to be forced into eating probably the things that you might not choose to eat yeah because i was uh, this was 2013 and 2011 is when i woke up so i was really focused on eating a very healthy diet mm. and so this trip for me eating from the dumpster was kind of an exception to that because well, one of the main reasons I was eating healthy is because a healthier diet is generally better for the earth as well, like at least the way that I designed it. Mm -hmm. But I found that eating from the dumpster is one of the most environmentally friendly ways to eat. It's all food that would have gone to waste. You're keeping it from the landfill. Um, no resources are consumed at all. So I found myself eating a lot. Uh, one day I found myself in a donut dumpster and I ate like 12 <laughs> donuts in one sitting while I think I was still sitting in the dumpster to be honest <laughs> you were like this is the one time I will let my body consume this much processed sugar no I did that often maybe not 12 donuts but <laughs> I I was I actually became addicted to sugar during that time I remember that I became so much you know I, I focused so much eating on on eating food from the dumpsters because I learned about food deserts where there's just not access to local organic unpackaged food, let alone just anything local or anything unpackaged or anything organic on its own. But I found uh, I was about halfway across the country and I found that I wasn't craving healthy food anymore and that I was having a really hard time even enjoying it when I did make it. And that's when I realized how easy it is to become basically addicted to unhealthy food. And it actually was, for me, a really helpful lesson because I saw just a, for me, it was just a month. And so I just imagined, imagine years of being addicted and in these habitual patterns of eating unhealthy food, how hard it is to get out of that. So it actually really helped me now that I, I can understand where people are in their situation, trying to get out of, you know, decades long patterns that they want to get out of, but they just are having a really hard time. We saw on an Instagram post l lately, maybe, I don't know how deep I was scrolling, but that you consumed some roadkill, mm. um, which, you know, in its entirety seems quite shocking. <laughs> you know, initially, and then the breakdown of not wanting to let that animal go to waste and seeing an opportunity to, to consume that. Two things. Are you a vegan unless it's in a circumstance like that? And secondly, how do you know, or how long it's been that, like, how do you know it's safe to eat the roadkill? Yeah. So I, I, my, my early transition, when I woke up to the reality of our global industrial food system into how our animals suffer in these factory farms. My initial transition was to go vegan. And after a few years I did, and from 2014 to 2016, I was, you know, 99% plant-based, maybe 95% plant-based. And I was pretty diehard about it. Um, 
And then I actually went deeper. I, I actually started to do more research. I didn't look at just, you know, sort of the mainstream vegan narrative that, that turns a lot of people vegan, documentaries like Cowspiracy and things like mm. that. And I went deeper and I realized, actually, that's only a part of the picture. And so I realized there's actually ways that are truly sustainable and what I would consider ethical ways of working with animals, eating animals, eating cheese, eggs, etc. And what I learned that's you know really important is that it's often, I think there's many situations where it's more sustainable and thus more ethical and humane for animals where you actually do have a diet that is, you know, consuming meat. And so I just realized that it's not black and white at all. And I had, I had come somewhat into this black and white way of thinking. And I'm so glad I got out of that because I just realized we are on a earth of 7 billion people with hundreds or thousands of different cultures and different biomes and regions. And the truth is, is that in many scenarios, meat is more sustainable than a plant-based diet in itself. So that transitioned me out uh, in around 2016. And then as far as roadkill, that was again, a societal norm. Like that was the first day that I decided to do that. It was during my year long project where I was growing and foraging 100% of my food, which meant no dumpster diving, literally everything that I ate, I had to grow in my gardens or forage from the wild, no grocery stores, no restaurants, no friends, pantries, any of that. And, um, so I came across some deer. I had been looking for them because it's, to me, it's amazing resource. Um, and this comes down to common sense. So a deer when it's walking through the woods is a deer. It's a healthy thing. When it gets hit by a car, it doesn't all of a sudden go from a deer to no longer a deer and this dangerous thing. It is still mm. a deer. It has been hit by a car instead of shot by a bullet. So it just comes down to common sense. If you get the deer right away, then it's, and as long as it's not really damaged, then it's no different from going hunting itself, which, you know, millions of Americans mm -hmm. do. Um, so it's, it's basically comes down to some common sense, just like I talked about with dumpster diving. There's basic signs at looking at it. And anybody who's connected to that food source knows how to look at meat and tell if it's still good. I do want to talk about the foraging, which you just touched on. For those that don't know what foraging is, can you explain that? Foraging just means to collect your own food. And for me, foraging would include, you know, going to the woods and harvesting uh, greens like dandelion greens or, or nettle, um, or it could mean collecting mushrooms, edible mushrooms. It, for me, it would also include going fishing. Um, mm -hmm. It basically is just going to, you know, going into nature. I'm using quotes around that because the whole world is nature and collecting your food that's growing from the land, not gardening. It's what the earth is creating without the gardening. But you did grow everything for that year and you harvested your honey and you cracked open coconuts and you scraped out flesh and you made coconut milk and cream and juice and all of the things like you, it wasn't just kind of collecting dandelion. It was truly creating 
meals manufacturing almost, you know, like processing um, to create from start to finish, literal, you know, farm to table in a sense. It seemed like a lot of work, like a lot of work for one person to do. There's no doubt it's really challenging. I mean, the the idea is that our, our current food system is so convenient and so easy that we don't have to think about where our food comes from, how it gets to us, what the impact that it has on the earth is, and, and even largely impact on ourselves a lot of the time. And so this is a deep immersion in both stepping away from that food system, but also having to step away from society some because I, you know, I wasn't able to have my friend's food and you know, I was kind of making myself separate. And so there were times when I was at home just toiling away, like preserving my, drying my mangoes or canning my food. And I'm thinking, man, what am I doing at home uh, dealing with my mangoes when I could be out, you know, being a part of the world and like doing this work where I'm trying to change things? Because I feel like sacrifice was something that just kept coming back to me. Like, when I listen to you, when I watch you, um, there's a, a heavy amount of sacrifice that goes into your work, which is your life. You know, the two are quite married together. Do you feel like the sacrifices that you've made, I mean, there's so many levels. I mean, just in just basic levels of like not seeing friends or family for some time or the taste of things, you know, like you're, you're foraging and growing everything. I'm sure there were times that you wanted something that you couldn't have. Um, is there anything that you miss then that comes along with the bigger picture? And it doesn't need to be anything drastic. It could just be hot showers. Well, I guess what I would say is that sometimes I miss convenience. So the hot shower could be the convenience, for example, mm. rather than walking down to the creek and you know, taking a cold, cold bath in the, in the cold creek. But I will also say that when I need something, I do it as long as it's within reason. So although I do these very extreme activism campaigns and although my life is extreme compared to, you know, mainstream society, I also, I don't, I don't neglect or deprive myself of my basic needs in order to feel comfortable and happy and healthy. So when I really need a bar of dark chocolate, I get a bar of dark chocolate (laughs) generally, for example, except not during my year. During my immersive projects, I'm fully immersed and there's no exceptions. But generally, my again, my life is extreme, but I'm not, I'm actually, the truth is, is that although some would see me as an extremist, I'm actually extremely moderate. I do extreme things to raise awareness about the truth of how extreme our current lifestyles are. The United States has 5% of the world's population, but consumes 25% of the world's resources. That's extreme. So I'm raising awareness about the extremeness, but at the same time, I'm really just asking for moderation. Let's live in a way where we don't destroy the very earth that we live on. Then that makes perfect sense. And so does the bar of dark chocolate. Like now I feel like I can get you off that godlike pedestal and <laughs> meet you. Some of the work that you do, when I reference it to my own life, I feel bad, you know, and I feel stuck because, um, 
you know, I have a mortgage, I have a small child, I use um, as environmentally friendly nappies as I can, but then they're not the ones that you wash like back in the olden days. And I start to feel like you get in that place of, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? How can I do more? And I wonder if that's the the way we can start to break this down for the average Australian, American, European on how to shift, shift the way they're living slightly. Can you give the average Joe five tips, like just five starters? I know you've got a lot on your website, your YouTube that people can go and research, but if they're listening now and going, give me five things to make a change today. Sure. So I, I love, I start with food. Food is the center of our lives. So some of the, I'm going to name five things you can do with food actually. Right. So local, try to, try to get as much of your food locally as you can. So local farmers growing some of your own food, um, going to the farmer's market is a great place. So great, great way to start. So local food, unpackaged food. So look at your food. Is it leaving behind trash for future generations? Um, trying to eat in a way where there's no trash left over. So unpackaged food, unprocessed food is the other one. With processed food, it's very easy for corporations to slip in these ingredients that aren't good for you and are generally much more processed, you know, stuff that, you know, ingredients that we don't really know what they are and can't pronounce. And so less processed foods. So whole foods, for example, buying, mm-hmm. um, rice rather than rice aroni or apples rather than applesauce for example mm-hmm. um so that's local unpackaged unprocessed organic and organic isn't just a label um it's really even ideal to meet the farmer there's a lot of farmers who produce food that's much more organic but they don't use that label yes um so connecting with the farmer. And then the other one would be, yeah, growing a little bit of your own food. It can be life-changing to see, um, you know, a tomato start from a seed and then be producing tomatoes for, for meals for weeks. So growing a little of your own food, even if it's just herbs on a, bal- on a windowsill or some pots of tomatoes on a balcony, starting small and growing a little of your own food is a you know, massively positive thing. I love that. I want to talk now about the tiny house. Because there is a tiny house community and lots of people are going to go like, what is ti- what is a tiny house? Well, the definition of a tiny house is, I think it's like something like maximum size of 700 square feet, which would be 70 square meters or so. There's not an exact definition of it, you know, like most things, but basically it's a very small house. And for some <laughs> people that is a house on wheels um so for some people it could be living in a a van van life or a camper um so there's many different ways of of it you know for some people it's earth ships or straw bale houses um but for me a tiny house is a way to have basic my basic needs met to live in a sustain you know a more sustainable way where i don't need a lot of stuff um a smaller house means less stuff less space to put it and, mm-hmm. you know, a more simpler way of life. My tiny house that I lived in in Orlando was very small. It was 100 square feet, which is 10 square meters, and um, just met my basic needs. I had an outdoor kitchen and outdoor compost toilet. And 
But, you know, tiny houses can be luxurious. I've seen tiny houses that are a quarter, uh, 150000 to a quarter million dollars. Down Whoa. to my tiny house. Yeah, which I built for $1,500 using all repurposed materials. So there's a whole range of tiny houses. And um, we need to talk about the compost toilet um, because I have used one at a farm once um, and there's a sign on it about, um, I don't know if this is the same for yours, that if you just do a wee, you let it stay. And then if you do a poo, you put sawdust on it. Mm. Is that the same with you? Or I, I know that you had mentioned something about composting your poo too. So please explain. Yep. Yeah. So composting poop is actually a, a, a pretty simple thing. The earth is designed to do it. You know, that is what has been happening for all of <laughs> humanity is the earth composts our poop. If, if the earth wasn't composting our poop, we would be sitting in giant, giant pools of poop everywhere we went, which is not a pretty thought. <laughs> so it's really just letting earth do the work, designing a system where instead of outsourcing it, to a wastewater treatment plant, doing it in a way where it lets earth do the work. And there's many different systems. There's, there's, very, there's very luxurious systems where they have heating and it turns and it feels just like a normal toilet and you sit on there like, you know, like royalty. And I've been in compost toilets with some of the best views in the entire world. <laughs> um, now, my compost toilet is a five-gallon bucket. Um, <gasps> And then sawdust and, you know, just a, a simple wooden structure over it and a nice toilet seat. It's comfy, but I built the whole thing for like $30. And so you poo in a bucket. A five-gallon bucket. I mean, not currently because I don't live at the tiny house currently, but when I have <laughs> my own did. place, yes, pooing in a bucket. Was that, like, did that ruin the romance ever? Like if you had a lady over or and you just had a poo bucket, was there kind of, you know, societal norms that infringed on that yeah so that's a perfect example of you know you mentioned before how you imagine the deer going from this beautiful creature to all of a sudden this you know uh rotting infested thing. Yeah. But, yeah so the thing about a poo bucket is as long as you have enough sawdust which is your carbon source there is no smell and to be honest i walk into many more bachelor's bathrooms that smell that smell bad. My compost toilet never smells bad. As long as you manage the compost toilet properly, there is no smell and I could sit there right next to it and have a dinner date over. I mean, it was literally right next to my house. And, you know, to go a little further with that, the, it's the, the opposite is, you know, the women who had come over to my house, I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. I was dating um, here and there. And they loved it. I mean, for so many people, they are, they are wanting to get out of the rat race and live a different life. And it's a liberating thing to, to poop in a compost toilet. For a lot of people, it's a liberating thing to poop in the woods for a first time. <laughs> and and when, you know, when, when women would come over to my tiny house, it was a, it was a, they loved it. It was a really wonderful experience for them. This is going to um, breach our friendship, but um, do you use toilet paper for number twos? That's not breaching the friendship because I've talked to this to probably millions of people okay. by now. <laughs> um, so I grew my own toilet paper in Orlando, and it's a did. wonderful 
Yeah, it's a wonderful plant. It's actually softer than anything you can buy at the store. It's in the mint family, so it's got a really wonderful, nice minty smell. Wow. Um, the plant has, it's called the blue spur flower. So it has beautiful flowers that bring in hummingbirds and butterflies. Wow. And when it's, when it's misty in the morning, this thing's got these tiny fine hairs, which make it so soft. And it actually traps in that mist. So on a misty morning, it actually doubles as a wet wipe that you oh. grow yourself. Oh, my so Lord. It's luxurious. I mean, it's, it's, honestly, it's more luxurious than any toilet paper I've, I've ever used. It's, it's fantastic. That sound, and then you have a minty-smelling bum the whole day. That's, <laughs> yeah. I've never that's actually awesome. checked. I've never checked to see if it's minty-smelling, but on YouTube, some people started calling me Captain Minty Bottom. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay. You have currently, or maybe it's changed, but the last time I checked 44 possessions total. I designed my life based on the circumstances that I'm in. So the reality is, is that when I launched into this life with 44 possessions, I was going on a world speaking tour where I would mostly be staying in houses, um, giving talks and not doing a lot of things that would get me really dirty. Um, so that's how I designed it. Now, if I end up, you know, staying on a farm where I am getting dirty a lot, then I just go to the thrift store and I buy a couple more sweaters. So the resources are out there. 44 mm -hmm. possessions is not like my, this is the way it has to be. It's just mm -hmm. that's what I managed to get it down to the absolute minimum. And my life will, again, I'll get more possessions. And it's just about adapting to whatever situation that I'm in. While, again, the 44 possessions, is it's designed to be extreme. It's designed to get people thinking yes. about how much stuff they have and whether they need so much. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You had the 44 possessions when you were traveling. Now, we know the kind of impact that travel can have on the environment. How do you balance that with, say, a year's worth of foraging, what is the big picture in kind of both aspects for you? Yeah, well, yeah, flying is the most, for, for most of us, flying is the most destructive thing that we do in any given day. Um, for example, you know, they talk about the carbon impact of eating beef from factory farms. And I did the math and it was, I don't remember the flight. I think it might've been round trip across the United States. The carbon footprint of that was the equivalent of eating like 1,200 hamburgers. So right. flying is a big deal if we're talking about, you know, carbon impact. Mm -hmm. So my, what I do for flying is that I, I currently only fly if it is for a purpose where, I, where the impact that I have through it is worth it. So for example, on this world speaking tour well, that I was on, but that has ended basically because of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, the situation was that I was doing about 70 to 100 talks packed into these flights. And then the only flights that I was taking were when they were needed. So across the ocean, for example, once mm -hmm. I was in Europe, I could give about 50 talks here and it would all be done by train. 
So minimizing yeah. the flights wherever possible. And then the other thing for me is on this tour, um, I was carbon offsetting tenfold using the gold standard of carbon offsets. So these are third party verified. And so the that's not saying like just offset your carbon and travel is fine. I only did the traveling in the first place because I really felt like that speaking that I could do and the people that I could reach in this way would be far, far worth it. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, doing the uh, carbon offset for the flights. Understood. Thank you. We talk about essentials and those 44 slash 50 possessions you have that you deem essential. It's interesting that you don't have a phone because a phone obviously can also be a computer. What is your decision around not having a phone? Sure. Well, I, I have a computer, um, just a little uh, laptop that I bought used on Craigslist. And for me, I got rid of my cell phone, I think it's been about six years. I think it was 2014 or 2015. And the number one thing about not having a cell phone is about living in deep presence for mm. so many. And I should say, a lot of things are not inherently bad. It's just, it's often the way that we use them and the patterns they create. For most people, the problem is, is that they don't have a good balance with their phone and it provides some benefits, but it also takes away a lot from their life. And I found with my with myself having the cell phone that I often wasn't able to control myself. I would be using it much more, checking much more, using it as a social crutch, and it didn't result in deep presence. One of my goals mm -hmm. in life is to live deeply present. And so with no cell phone, that means that a lot of the times I am fully present with the people that I am with and the only people in the world that can reach me or that I can reach are the people in the room that I am in. And that to me is just a truly, truly important part of life. And how do you feel about children? Do you see that as something that you want to experience and bring into the world? Or would you see that as something that is going to be, you know, not the most sustainable choice? <laughs> well, I personally chose not to have children when I was 25, I actually got a vasectomy that was eight years ago. Wow. Um, but Yeah, but that wasn't really, it wasn't for environmental reasons. A lot of people think it's because of sustainability, but really it was about, it was about living the life that I truly wanted. I, I decided that I wanted to dedicate myself in a way where children were not a part of the equation. I feel like for me to be of best service to humanity, that would mean not dedicating so much of my time and energy into having a child. Because the reason that I'm not having children is because I so greatly respect having children that if I do it, it would be done in a way where I'm truly mm -hmm. dedicated to it. Do you feel like, um, or maybe you already have done this, are you working towards any legislation changes, doing petitions? Um, anything towards legal or government change? Yeah, there's definitely a place for that. My, my method is not to be involved directly. My method is really to light little fires inside of people. And those people are every type of person. So I affect politicians 
through my work or lawyers or teachers or, you know, babysitters uh, or janitors or, you know, activists, every type of person. I don't really separate people by those, by what their job is. Everybody's just a human to me. And so it is not my place right now to be involved in politics. Do you look down at the rest of us? (laughs) us mere mortals that are just selfish and flawed and consuming and damaging the world? I don't look down uh, on on anybody, really. I mean, the truth is, is that I see most of us as a product of our surroundings and a product of our society. So when I see things that individuals are doing, I much more look at the bigger picture. The you know, crimes that are happening. I don't look at any individual as a person who is a criminal. I look at most of that as a product of elements of broken society. And extreme consumerism, I don't look at that as something on an individual level. I look at something that that has also largely stemmed from corporations and governments pushing things in a certain way. So I'm really happy to say that rarely do I look down on anyone. In the in the beginning, definitely, I did more of that. But as I've really just gotten more connected, um, I, have, I have stopped doing that. And uh, I don't enjoy looking down on anyone. Final question. In all of it, in everything that you've done, do you have any regrets? I would say that's the great battle of, on my personal level is to overcome this computer, <laughs> this work, this this. this yeah, the internet, the constant, never-ending productivity on there. That's one of my biggest battles in life. And I'm actually thinking about in June getting rid of my computer for a year and living <gasps> a year without a computer or a phone. So we will have to write you postcards. No, it's not that I would never use computers. I could check in. I could oh, go to the library one you. day a week, for yes. example. I like the idea of not even having a computer, but no, there's still a lot of work I want to do. It's just the idea of not having one would mean I'd spend way less time on and the time that I would be on, I would be far more productive. And um, so that's, that's a, you know, the interesting area <laughs> of my life that I'm trying to, trying to get I better hear the next, constant battle. I hear the next extreme activation coming. Um, and it's also nice to know that you have that, internal struggle like the rest of us with technology, because that is something that I think everybody battles with constantly. So I appreciate your honesty and your time today. Um, Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed the conversation. (laughs) It's been just like catching up, catching up with a new friend. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.